Hello, and thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene, where we exist to help people take their next step in a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that as you listen, you are both encouraged and challenged as you take that next step in your walk with Christ. How are we doing today? Good. Merry Christmas. You look wonderful, except for you. Man, that picture is way worse than I remember. I'm like, yeah, I knew he was going to wear it, but I didn't realize how bad my face was in that. (laughs) The Lord can restore. He can do work still. We know this. We know this. So uh, it's good to be with you today. It was nice to get a little uh, dusting last night. Maybe we'll have a white Christmas. Might uh, might be favorable towards that. But I just wanted to... Uh, just kind of get through a few housekeeping things before we start today. Last Sunday was our LifeWise Christmas Market. And I wanted to thank, I saw a lot of familiar faces, so just, I just wanted to thank you for, for coming out to, to uh, participate in that. We, uh, we were able to raise over $7,600 with that event for LifeWise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what's cool about that is God continues to be glorified through this. He continues to be made known. Um, that is, the, that is the, the whole mission of that, is to share the gospel with, with the unchurched, with those who have never heard it before. And I'll say that every single Sunday if I need to, just to remind ourselves of the mission that is before us. One of the things that this little intern leadership gig uh, presents itself uh, with is the opportunity to lead a membership class, and so the, so we've we're, we're week uh, this week will be the third week of our three week membership class. It has been so much fun to share and, and for me to remember the story of Napnaz, to uh, study the story of of this church and the history of this church, and um, and to share that with others. And as I and as I did that, um, it started to become very apparent to me that kids' ministry, reaching the next generation, has always been the DNA of this church. So LifeWise is just one more of those things. Pastor Justin just talked about Upward. Did you know this year we celebrate our 20th year of Upward ministry in this community? And that's so, sure, keep going, keep going, because again, this is all that God continues to do. Because now in the, uh, the church on the south side so often is known in the community as the, the, the church with the basketball program. And we've reached probably thousands, of, thousands at this point of kids with the gospel. We've received families that have gone through Upward Program. We've, we've, um, we've welcomed them, entire households, into this body, into this community, this faith community, because of that ministry. And this is why we do these things. This is why we do things like Upward and LifeWise and why we do a Serve Sunday and why we do this stuff because we are a body that is always aiming to glorify God and reaching others, motivated by the Great Commission. And so yeah, to Justin's point, it's one, of the newer, one of the newer ministries, outreach ministries that we have here is our Napnaz Community Preschool. Over half the kids that attend, um, their, their families do not come to this church. So we see this as a missional opportunity. That's why we call it the Napnaz Community Preschool. And so uh, I just wanted to remind you of that as, as, we, as we take up that offering Christmas Eve, that this is our DNA, this is who we are. We are, we are a body that this money doesn't stay here. This money goes outward to make Christ known. But it starts here. 
pastor once said, the light that shines the furthest shines brightest at home. And so as when we, when we understand the love of God and what he's called us to, we begin to understand the great commission. We're motivated to share God's love with others. Okay, that wasn't, that's not the sermon. Here we go. So we are week four in our Advent series, right? And so uh, week one, we was uh, the angel of the Lord coming to Zechariah and he surprises him with a prayer that he was probably not praying in his age at that time. Zechariah was a priest. He was serving his, his, his time in the temple and the angel of the Lord came to him and said, you and your wife, your old wife, you're gonna have a kid. And this, this son has a specific purpose in my kingdom. The son will be the forerunner. And unfortunately, Zechariah, it took him by surprise and he, he almost questioned God's word through the angel, um, and it was through a posture of disbelief. And so, the, so his, his lips were sealed until we would read later the, the day was at hand for these things would come to pass. And then week two, we, we hear the birth um, foretold of Jesus, right? A lot of similarities between the two. Only Mary's posture of questioning and response is that of humility. It's that of, um, of, of, of great great overwhelming joy, but, but humility. Like, God, I believe in you, and I believe you can do this through me. I'm not sure how, but I yield myself to you. And so we see the joy that comes through that. And in, in week three, as she, um, we, we, we talk about Mary and, and Elizabeth getting together, and, and um, the baby leapt in, in Elizabeth's womb as, as Jesus and Mary enter. And the, 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 all four of them are, are filled with the Holy Spirit, right? The moms and the, and, and the two unborn children. And at that point, we begin to see how countercultural all of this is. Because women and children were the least of these in society. Yet God had chosen to send his son. And, to, and that women would testify first of his coming. And Zechariah then too. And so week four... We find ourselves the birth of John. So we'll be in uh, Luke 1, starting in verse 57. And so Zechariah received this crazy vision, right, that, that Elizabeth was, even in her old age, was to, was, to, was to give birth to this forerunner, the forerunner that would come before Christ the Messiah. It says Zechariah was to be mute until these days these things occurred. Well, this day has occurred. And so now we 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 come to this passage of scripture today. A word of caution for you. I I, I think of this, I wrestle with this every year as I lead worship during the Christmas season. I'm speaking to the believers in the room that have been believers for decades. I pray to God that you would not lose your sense of awe and wonder of what we're about to read today. That it wouldn't just be, hey, this is another Sunday, for Sunday in Advent, we're gonna talk about love, we're gonna talk about these things. No, that God is still in the business of doing miraculous things. And we, may we never be calloused towards what he has done in Luke chapter one and Luke chapter two. And so, Father, we come before you as we open your word today in prayer. 
Lord, let the meditations of my heart be pure. Let the words that I speak be seeds planted in the hearts of all who hear that you would continue the work that you started. Lord, meet your people where they're at today. Lord, speak through me, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 1, starting in 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared in her joy. A barren woman at that time was a thing of disgrace. And so God had, God had, had given her favor. That's what that's saying. And on the eighth day, they came to, to circumcise the child. And they were going to name him after his son, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. And they said to her, there's no one among your relatives whose name is that. Then they made signs to the father, gesturing to him to find out what he would like the child's name to be. And he asked for a writing tablet, and everyone, to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately his mouth opened, and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with what? Awe and wonder, and throughout the hill country of Judea. People were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand is on him. Now we're going to start off today and we're going to be teaching and then I'm going to be preaching, okay? So right now we're just teaching. We're understanding the context, where we're at, what's going on here. Uh, a lot of stuff is happening in, in, in this passage here. I think it's, it's hard for us in our own culture and our own context to fully understand the significance of, of the naming process. You see, newborn male children were traditionally named on the, on the day of circumcision. And the naming rite was given to the father. And although though the woman played a part of it, in it, it was, it was the father's role. And since their child would likely be the only child, especially at their age, at their time of life, the miracle that it already was, it was a no-brainer that he would be named after his father, Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest, so it was especially important that his lineage continue, that family tree would continue, that succession, God's faithfulness. And since he cannot speak at that time, they turned to Elizabeth assuming that they know what she's going to say. And when she says, no, his name is John, they'd immediately turn to the dad, say, what? What's going on here? And confusion breaks out, right? So they begin engaging with Zechariah. And uh, a lot of scholars believe that not only was he, um, not only was he mute, but there's a good reason to believe that he, he was deaf as well. We can't know that for certain but that the Lord has, has made him deaf at well because they begin gesturing. He could have simply nodded his head yes or no, but he asks for a tablet, or he, he gestures and he writes on, on the tablet what his name is. Most likely he could have not heard what was actually happening at that point. But either way, Elizabeth named him and then Zechariah affirmed 
One thing you should know about the name John is that it means Yahweh has been gracious. Yahweh has been gracious. And the naming of John was nothing short of providential. God is most definitely glorified here. It's in the midst of this time, in this naming process, this awe and wonder, that also God, his glory is restored to him. Because, because what you could say is, um, Zechariah, the fact that he didn't believe God, robbed God of his glory, right? So instead of worshiping him like Mary did, and we get the Magnificent, right? He did, he did not believe God at first. So God said, okay, well, since you're not gonna believe me, I'm gonna save this. So when your lips are unsealed and everyone can hear the name John instead of Zechariah, I will be glorified by this. We begin to understand that this whole drama in Luke that's unfolding, God gets the glory every time, right? And that's how it is for our own lives and where we live. So, so Paul, Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 8. He says, there's one, fa- one God, the Father. All things are what? From him. There's one Lord Jesus Christ. All things are through him and we exist through him. All things are about God. Zechariah's testimony in John's life is no different. So a lot happened in the naming process of this that instilled awe and wonder. And so now what's this guy gonna say? His lips are unsealed. What's gonna come out of his mouth next? Verse 67, we read on. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. He began to prophesy. So he begins to prophesy and now Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit. So join the club, right? Elizabeth, Mary, Jesus obviously, John, the baby in the womb. Now Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit, begins to prophesy. The Spirit engulfs him and involves him in this drama that is in Luke being played out. Have you ever had something happen to you or experienced something in your life that was too good not to share? Like you just want to tell everybody about it. I know for us, like just being pregnant, right? That's a, that's a really exciting thing, having a baby. It's an amazing thing. I'll tell you what I want everybody to know. I want everybody to know that I'm a Vikings fan and that yesterday they were down 33 to nothing at half and they came back to win that thing. And because it impacted me, I wanted everybody to know that. So if you're a Colts fan, I'm sorry about that. But I'm not sorry about that. I'm not sorry about that. Something big happened and I wanted someone to know. How much more it was when I started sensing the spirit of God in my own life. He started changing me. He started working in me. Started wrestling with all these things. And once I understood what God was doing in me and and my eyes were open, I just wanted to tell people. I'm a worship leader because that was the easiest way at the time for me to tell people about Jesus. Because when I gave my heart to him, 
say, God, use me. At the time I was learning guitar, I'm like, all right, well, I guess I'll do this. I hated singing in front of people. I hated being in front of people. Said I would never do it. God's got a sense of humor, right? You want to tell people about it. You want God to get the glory. That's why our testimony is so important. So let's see what Zechariah has to say. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Horn of salvation is simply just a, um, animal horn was a symbol of power. So he's saying mighty savior, this horn of salvation, mighty savior will come for his people to rescue us. In this moment, we see that Zechariah, as he moves on, will be the forerunner to the forerunner. If John's the forerunner, Zechariah is about to say what John's life is worth and, and because he only understands his life in the, in the context of the Messiah. So we read on. As he said through his holy prophets long ago, talking about God, salvation from our enemies and from the, land of all, or the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So Zechariah is a new dad and his lips are unsealed and his first words are nothing about his own son. He gives thanks and praise to God, which I can resonate with because like as soon as my, my child was born, I remember um, just giving God thanks and just pouring myself out and thanking him. But then I didn't start talking about someone else's kid. I wanted to talk about my own kid and give thanks to my own. But no, who does he talk about? He talks about in the past tense of Jesus who's still in the womb of, of Mary. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel. He has come to his people to redeem them and redeem them. Zechariah is always in the past, already in the past tense of what has been revealed. He starts talking about the Messiah. Zechariah knew that his child had but one purpose. John's purpose was to foretell Christ. John's reason to exist was Christ. Zechariah only understood his son's life through the context of the Messiah. And so he begins with Christ, the horn of salvation. This mighty savior has come. He's not talking about his son. He's talking about the one in the womb still, the savior of the world, Emmanuel. It's only in this context, verse 76, that we finally get to it. Verse 76, and you, my child, John, will be called a prophet of the most high a forerunner for you will go before the Lord to prepare a way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through what? Through the forgiveness of their sins. Sorry. Which leads to holiness and righteousness as we saw earlier on. 78, because of his tender mercy of our God by which this, the rising sun will come to us from heaven 
to shine on those living in the darkness. Who's he talking to? Lost generation, a people who are in need of a savior and in the shadow of death to guide our feet to the path of peace. Humanity is hopeless without a savior. And he came to foretell. And then in verse 80, and the child grew up and became strong in spirit and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. Really, verse 80 is saying, there's more to come. But for right now, the words of Zechariah. We hear a lot about the word, like prophecies or prophet. Prophecy is simply the ability to finally predict the future with certainty. So a prophetic word is to, to predict the future with certainty. Sarah read out of Revelation. We have the word of God. There are prophetic words in here that have yet to come to pass that we are, we are believing in in full truth and certain knowledge that will come to pass, right? So this prophetic word had come and he's come to share it. John had come to share, to prepare the way, to make ready, verse 17 says, and prepare the people for the Lord. How will he make them ready? Through knowledge. John's clearing a path filled a very real and practical need. You see, much like today, uh, 30 AD, AD 30 was, was a time where uh, complete knowledge of who Yahweh God was, um, was, was gone. You've got, you've got the Persian Empire, the Greeks, the Romans now. There, it was just complete godlessness, complete uh, pagan. Even the religious institutions had been hollowed out. The Jewish people had long forgotten who God actually was because their religion was the law. And so the yoke that they placed on the people and the self-righteousness that they, that they shared and that they proclaimed in, 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 in their prayers and the way they did that was all to glorify themselves, to show themselves, uh, to show others how holy they were. And what John was coming to do was to prepare the way, to speak harsh truth, to speak difficult reality, to wake people up. Not only this pagan, the, this pagan people, but also those who said they were believers in Yahweh, followers of Yahweh. John's duty was to prepare the people. To give them the knowledge of salvation that only comes through the forgiveness of sin. Okay, well, if salvation comes through knowledge, and the knowledge, through the forgiveness of sin, we repent. You see, Israel had lost their way. The people had lost their way. And even since Christ's um, ascension, in the advent of the church, the coming of the church. The church too has lost its way over the years, right? We get the Reformation. We get uh, a culture that, you know, I think past like probably this 60, 70 years ago, it was all truth, fire brimstone, right? No grace. Now we flipped it. So much grace, little truth. We just want people to feel good when they leave. The church has always worked on this, this balancing thing of juggling grace and truth. I think it's pretty cool 
that God's name for John, Yahweh is gracious, is the one who's supposed to be the truth teller of the one who's to come. That in God's grace, he revealed truth. And the one telling the truth is the one who reminds people that God is graceful. He is gracious to us. Luke puts, spends a lot of time talking about, about John. Chapter one, he gives more context than all three of the other gospels. Why was it so important to the grand narrative? Because Luke wanted people to understand John's role clearly. That he had come to tell people that they needed to repent that they needed to turn away from the things that they had turned it into, the things that they had made religion into, and that Christ is the solution for the forgiveness and the path to righteousness. John's life was a very difficult, sober shot of reality. You see, they first needed to understand their utter hopelessness and need for a savior before they could ever care about the savior. Isn't that true? Because you think of this practically, right? We, um, I don't, I don't, I don't, it's kind of harder for me because I feel like I'm living in a calling, but we don't, we don't, we are not employed because we think it's fun to go to work for 40 hours a week. We recognize that there are certain needs in our lives that when we, when we have a job and we have a means of making money, that we are able to supply. So, right? So, like, food, shelter, uh, health care. All of these things that, that the job, we don't, we don't care about a job until we realize, oh, man, I've got all these needs and I'm utterly hopeless, so I've got to get a job in order for, for that to satisfy um, all, of my, all of my needs, right? Um, I... I have to have money to buy food, so I must go out to work to earn, to make money, to buy food. And you see, it's not until we, ha we, we receive and we understand the knowledge of our sinfulness and our brokenness and our utter hopelessness that we should care about a savior. That's why so many walk in and out of here what, or, 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 or walk around in life because it's not even on the consciousness of, uh, of many. And the difficulty is, and it's, so today, fourth Sunday, it's about love, right? We can't truly understand what it means to love and what Christ came to do for us until we understand our utter incompetence and our broken state. Because see, the reality is, our lives look a lot like Prophet Hosea, where we've just prostituted ourselves out into a world, indulging ourselves on any, everything, binge-watching whatever, distracting ourselves, making gods out of everything. And John came to say, wake up, the kingdom of God is at hand. You all are in darkness, but the light has come. That's what it means to be the forerunner. 
to reveal to people their utter need for a savior, their utter lack and inability to do things on their own. Fire and brimstone preaching isn't popular now, right? The goal of so often the church, it's like, just make people feel good as they leave. Six days from now, when we come back together, talk about the birth of Christ, we need a day like today where we, under, we, we understand our utter need for a savior. This isn't just cute Christmas songs. Do you know what we sing? Do you wrestle with that? So when we come to the sobering reality that we are so sinful and so broken and so lost, that then when we come and worship together on Christmas Eve, at last, Emmanuel, he has come. He has come to bring peace and hope and joy to the broken and the lowly. He's flipping the kingdoms of this world on their head. No longer is it do what feels good in your own heart. But it's to be sanctified in Christ. It's to begin to know him, to understand him. We open up the epistles, Romans. You want to walk through Romans? Romans 1 talks about sin. Talks about a lot of it. Talks about how horrible everything actually is. Talks about our utter hopelessness. While we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. My prayer today, believers that have been believers for generations and for decades would not lose sight of the awe and wonder. They're not Christmas music again. Come on, he has come. He has come to us to fulfill not only his end of the covenant, but he came because we couldn't finish our end. So while we are still sinners, Christ came, he died for us. And it's when we understand our sinfulness that we begin to understand what true love actually looks like in Christ. I want to end with two things today. Great commandment, great commission. When I got this passage, I passage. uh, when Justin assigned, I wasn't planning on talking about sin and brokenness and all that. Because all this is so hopeful, right? But it's only hopeful because you understand your depravity. Jesus said, grace command is this, right? To love God, to love others. When you do this, you live in Righteousness. To love God is to hate sin. It's to hate corruption, right? To desire to sanctify oneself, set oneself apart only unto him. 
That's what that actually means to love God. To seek to know him and his word deeply. To have it written on your heart. To begin to be changed by him. And then to love others is to deeply desire that change within them. To grieve. When a brother or sister in Christ is hurting. To hurt. When someone you love doesn't see what you see in their lives, doesn't see what you see as potential for God to use them to be part of that kingdom. That's what it means to love others. The byproduct of loving others is a great commission. Because this has been revealed to me, because I've seen God's work in my own life, it's called your testimony. It's the greatest evangelistic tool you have. Don't worry about doctrine. What has God done for you? You begin to share that with others. In humility. No one likes to know it all anyways. So don't feel like you have to have the answers to any theological question that, that while you're witnessing to someone. What's God done in your life? I was this, now I'm this. Praise God. I was this, now I'm this. To God be the glory. The Great Commission. To make Christ known. To go into all the earth. That in our going, we make disciples, right? Telling others of the good news that we've received. Because of his love for us. While we are still sinners. Christ came. Christ lived. Christ died he ascended to heaven seated at the right hand of the father now the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit is within me and I don't know how to explain it but God is good and he's changed me this is some low hanging fruit this week because my prayer for you is that God would impress upon you twice a year that just about anybody will go to church Christmas and Easter right you see some empty seats around you I pray that the Lord would impress upon you that you would not be able to shake it I pray that he would put a face in your mind who is it that needs to come who is it that needs to hear the good news Who is it that I need to be reaching out to this week? Who needs to hear? While we're still sinners, Christ came and that there's life and life to the fullest for those who trust in him. That's my prayer for you this week. Because you love someone enough in your life, you're gonna tell them about Jesus. came to a crossroads a couple years ago it, a lot of times it's easier to avoid stuff it's easier to avoid confrontation it's like yeah I just don't want to deal with it and um, I don't want to come off mean I don't want to come off loving until I begin to understand 
that love actually means loving someone enough to tell them. In grace, we tell them truth. That we love someone enough to tell them that there is a good news in eternity with Christ, that the Savior had come. And I want you there. That makes sense? Father, it's difficult today um, to hear difficult things, but the very essence of John's life was to set the table for the king was to set the table for Christ to show his love. Because we don't care until we, we understand our deep need for it. And so in our deep need, you met us. You came to us. Lord, and now we too are forerunners. Carrying the gospel is called the Great Commission. It's what Christ commanded us to do. Lord, I pray that we would be the awe and the wonder of what you've done for us that would motivate us and inspire us, that we would be moved enough by what you've done for us to tell someone about it, to invite them into the kingdom, to come alongside them, to do life with them because of our love for them out of the love that you've shown us. Lord, I thank you for this church body, I pray for this week ahead as we celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. All that you've done as we come back here Christmas Eve will we come rejoicing that at last you made a way because of what we are wholly unable to do on our own. Lord, you sent your son. We live in that, we cling to that, we hold fast to that, we celebrate that. As we go out, Lord, may we be salt and light in the earth. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, let's stand, Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Let's proclaim this together today as we go. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Hey, have a great week. Merry Christmas. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 10.30 a.m. for weekly worship and community with other believers. For more information about upcoming events or ways you can connect, find us on Facebook or visit us at napnaz.org. Have a great week.